0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Fighting for our families. Um, it's such a long title that when I put this in my notes, I have to like shorten it because otherwise it's I'm like I don't want to have to look this up down the road someday and see such a long title. Uh, and this message this morning might be really hard for some of you. Others, frankly, I can just say it this way i'm worried that this message may give you permission to continue staying disengaged from what is in front of us and so um in the next half hour 30 to 40 minutes i'm going to try to unpack uh, something that probably we could talk about for several months honestly but i want to try to unpack it to bring us to a place of a start Where we need to come back to that the church needs to come back to as a whole and so in spite of my concern for the fact that some of you may be offended that some of you may take this as permission uh, nonetheless this is the message I believe that God has for our church today and I've actually been very disturbed in my spirit um, preparing it bringing it it's been burning in me for many weeks now and um, I believe that This sums up some of what we've seen in the last couple of years uh, that has become evident and more obvious for people. The title of today's message is very simply Moral Authority. Moral Authority. And so I want to start this morning by praying, and um, and then let's just see maybe today what the Holy Spirit will put his finger on in in our lives. So Father, we thank you for the gift of your presence today. We appreciate you, Lord. And... uh, And Lord, we love your time. We love your presence with us. And so, Father, I ask that by your Holy Spirit today, you would bring light to our eyes, that you'd open our ears, and that we would hear what it is you're saying to us this morning, Lord. Pray, God, that you would help the words that come out of my mouth today not be the ramblings of passion or a preacher, but, Lord, that it would be something coming from your heart, especially today. Amen. Human beings always seem to be motivated by individual rightness. Human beings are motivated by individual rightness. Judges 21 26 That while there was no king in Israel, everyone just simply did what was right in their own eyes. And we see this pattern in the Bible actually all the way back to the days of Noah, and really even before, even even back to ultimately to Adam and Eve, I suppose when Eve and then Adam chose to do what was right according to their understanding rather than the instruction that the Lord had given them. In Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8, I could I could camp on that alone, uh, but this is what it says. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now this is profound to me. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I'm created from the face of the earth, from man to animals to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That is a passage you probably don't read to your kids before bedtime at night, is it? It's probably not one you devote yourself to in terms of your daily devotions. But its language is very plain for us. The wickedness of man was so far gone that God was sorry. And I want you to know that in the Hebrew, that word sorry probably doesn't quite mean what you think it is. Because honestly, sorry is a very cheap word by today's standards. But the word sorry in the Hebrew lends itself more to to this understanding. that, That God was so disappointed he had to console himself. Now let me just ask you, what does it look like when you console yourself about something? Anybody ever done this? Anyone brave to admit that you console yourself? And I just want you to think this morning what that conversation looks like in your mind. Here's what it looks like in my mind when I have to console myself. In other words, there is really no one I can talk to about the sorriness that I feel. And honestly, usually it has to do with an action of myself or maybe the action of another person. And we console ourselves by having a conversation about what we're going to do next. And I actually love that when we open that up and we look at the Hebrew word that, that kind of explains it. It's sorry, but it really is more of this God is consoling himself with the fact that he has created man. And the conversation always, if you process the way I do, when we are consoling ourselves and, and we're moving forward, if there's any progress in us at all. I suppose there's two things. We either quit and don't go back to it. Or we console ourselves and we figure out what the next action is. We figure out what the next thing to do is. And I love that, that, that God says, well, my next thing is I'm going to wipe everything out. But then Noah found favor in his eyes. And we begin to see the first type of salvation enacted by God for humankind. And that he creates an ark. And of course, this becomes figurative of the future of what Jesus would one day do. And it's actually a beautiful story of God's attempts and his desire, his heart to reconcile his creation to himself. But what does it look like when men, when humankind, when people, when they are so convinced that more, their own rightness We might call that self-righteousness even. When they try to enact self-rightness without a moral standard, people have to learn what is right and what is wrong only by experience. And the problem with this is when people learn what is right and what is wrong by experience, typically the answer to a wrong committed is to respond with a greater wrong. And that's called vengeance. Vengeance. So it's really simple. Before the law, we don't understand that stealing is wrong until the revelation of the loss of stealing comes to us. That would be that maybe I worked hard all year to put enough food aside for my family, and Ed comes along with the rest of his band of his tribe, his people, his whatever, his countrymen, Philistines. No, I'm just kidding. You're not a Philistine. But they come, and they steal what I have set aside to feed my people with. See, that's the revelation of morality as most human beings have to figure it out. We learn that something is wrong because of its effect on us, that it hurts us. And God saw this and that it was not good. Because the response of humanity has always been, if you steal from me once, I'm going to steal back from you twice. If you kill one of mine, I'll kill ten of yours. And so on it goes, and so on it escalates. And we see this pattern still today. Pitiful attempts being made by social governments to right the wrongs of the past seem to only inflame and and divide people even more. Because people are doing what's right in their own eyes, they're not responding to a higher standard of morality. So God introduces, way back then, after Noah, after the flood, he introduces the law. And we need to understand this about the law of God, the Ten Commandments and all of the Levitical law, Deuteronomy, all of those verses in those books and chapters of the Bible. We need to understand this first and foremost, and this is established in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians especially, that the law was given to us as a teacher, In other words, the moral code of what would be right and what would be wrong, that was the law given by God to point out to us that there is a right and there is a wrong and that we are all falling dreadfully short of its standard. And that law really is biblical moral authority. I want you to remember this morning as we talk through this, though, here's the problem with biblical moral authority. Even though it is God-breathed, God-inspired, God-perfected law, it was still incapable of doing ultimately what Jesus had to come to do. And it's not that the law failed. In fact, the Bible would tell us that the law succeeded because ultimately in not doing what Jesus needed to do, the law simply points all of us to Jesus to be the one who does what the law can't do. So God's not flawed in his plan. This redemption story that is being lived out in my life, in your life, is not a flaw. It's not plan B. It's not not some side project in the heart of God. But it is the reality that we face. It's the reality that this world exists in right now. And it's fine that you and I choose to live under a moral law. It's fine that we choose to yield ourselves. But listen, the problem with the church is that the church is expecting the whole world to bow to an authority that it does not know. And that it cannot understand. This is very important to understand because this is actually explained completely in God's Word. See, God introduces the law as a teacher to try to save us from some of the pain, which ultimately is in the fact that sin always, 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 the result of sin will be death. And and it's hard because you can tell that to people, but until they experience it, they have the freedom to say, I don't believe it. And in the process of time, generation after generation, what we see is people learning the hard way that divorce has a real cost, that suicide, that sexual immorality, that these things have a very high and a very real cost, that telling one little lie can lead to this horrendous effect later on. And we are slow to learn because the process is a slow one without the intervention of God's law. So those who choose to yield themselves to this law live under the benefit of foreknowing what can go wrong. And what a blessed place that is to be. David writes about it in the Psalms. How good it is to be in the presence of God, to know his law, to write his laws on our hearts so that we won't sin against God so that we won't sin against one another. All of these things are wonderful, but understand this, please, today. That is happening in the life of an individual who has chosen to be yielded to that authority. What we see today is that the effect of sin is rarely immediate. Rarely. Typically what happens is sin is revealed in its destructive power over time. As the wages of those sins erode the foundations from marriages and families and friendships and pretty much any kind of relationship that can be mentioned. But this law, again, what is really biblical moral authority, could not do what Jesus came to do. So Galatians 3 is a chapter you should meditate on this week. Now this is your pastor saying to you, please, for the love of God, read Galatians chapter 3 this week. I mean, that is if you have time to set aside your hobbies, that is if you can make time to set aside whatever, whatever online content you're following, or whatever Bible study you might be trying to do, and focus on what God is saying to this church in this season. Now, I love you, and that's why I'm asking you to focus on something. We don't preach in this church because it seems like a good idea. We preach because the command of Jesus to preachers is to feed sheep. Well, I don't want to be called a sheep, Pastor Traff. Well, too bad. I don't want to be called a lot of things, yet here I am. See, this battle that we're in for families is being lost. Because people are dividing their attention between the things of God and the things of the world. And we need to come back. It's not that we need to abstain from everything worldly. The Bible absolutely commands us to be in the world and not of it. But my friends, we need to turn our eyes once again to Jesus because he is the only one who can author and perfect and can finish the work he started in you. And this is not a negotiable in the kingdom of God. It is the simple and the truthful reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So Galatians 3, let it form some doctrine in you, because it is good doctrine. I just want to read a little bit of it. I could do, we could do three messages on the entire chapter easily. But here's what you get from me for today, Galatians three twenty two through 25. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our teacher to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now faith has come, so we are no longer under that teacher. I want you to read that whole chapter. And I want you to let it work deep into your soul. I want you to let it cultivate the ground of your heart because of the season and the times that we are in. But in the meantime, I want to sum it up simply. The law is a teacher, a custodian of you and I until we could place our faith in Jesus. A real hope. See, because the lie some people would believe in religion is that the law or keeping the commandments will give us Hope. But the truth is is we can't keep them all. So hope escapes us. That's why Jesus came. Cuz the law couldn't do it and we couldn't do it through the law. So Jesus comes. A real hope. You see, it's faith, not moral authority and not moral compliance that produces righteousness. Faith produces righteousness. And hopefully I don't need to stop and explain to you at this point that at the same time that morality has incredible value in the life of a Jesus follower. Right things, right actions are immeasurably valuable. But they are not the means by which righteousness is produced in you and I. They are the fruit of it. So in community and family, in a workplace, morality is valuable. Morality should be pursued. Morality should be honored and taught. But it is not what's going to produce righteousness. Righteousness. It's necessary and important, but it is not the means by which righteousness righteousness of the God comes. So moral authority. Here's the thing with moral authority. Moral authority only works on those who agree to recognize the authority of it. I'll say it again for you because I want you to remember. Moral authority only works on those who agree to recognize the authority that is in it. Whether it's learned by experience or has come by revelation and faith and trust, make no mistake, moral authority is always learned by revelation. When it comes to fighting for our families, we need a different tactic than moral authority to move people to the place God wants them to be. Too many battles are fought with moral authority as the tactic and as the weapon and the result the resounding result is failure time after time. There are millions, millions of people in my generation who grew up under a strict religious experience that exalted moral authority rather than righteousness through faith in Jesus. What is the cost of that? The cost of it is utter chaos in a generation, in a society. It leads to fatherlessness, both in the physical but also in the spiritual reality. Among the results that accompany this failure, we can see rejection, we can see bitterness. But I think most heartbreakingly what I see is loss again and again. Kids who grow up in churches that don't know the love and the excitement of the presence of God. People who grow up cowering in the shadow when they could be experiencing the goodness and the grace of God in their lives. It's such a loss. So, you can Try to train your kids by authority alone, but let me ask you, how does that work? Some of you have experienced this. Some of you are experiencing it now. How long does that work, moms and dads? Maybe some grandparents in the room could speak up. Just training kids by authority alone has limited effect, to say the least. Most parents will come to the place where they get exasperated and The conversation goes something like, Why do I have to do this? Well, because I said so. Now, that's fine if the child agrees to comply to your authority, it'll work. But what happens when the reasoning and the understanding of the person you're trying to love and discipline says, I don't recognize that authority? The tactic begins to fail. don't think for a second that I'm undervaluing or devaluing moral authority. I just want to reassert today that where we try to use it is all wrong. You can try to discipline by authority alone, but it won't work. How about when you try to engage with people in society using moral authority? Keyboard warriors everywhere, endless arguments. Endless, endless, endless arguments. Uh, I learned something from Jordan B. Peterson a little while ago that I really appreciated. It has helped me. His advice was, if people don't listen to you, stop talking. You want to know why that's valuable advice? Because as we learn to let the Holy Spirit lead us, the Holy Spirit will always lead us to someone who does want to listen. Always. You'll notice that Jesus' experiences arguing with people were relatively limited. He he did. He engaged with religious thinkers, with religious philosophers, with religious leaders. He engaged with people from all kinds of walks of life. But have you ever stopped to consider that Jesus went the places he went, and he talked to the people he talked to because literally he was being led by the Holy Spirit to do it. Not because he would just engage with anyone, everyone, wherever it seemed appropriate or convenient. And I would just say this to you, church. If Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, why on earth would we think we should be anything but led by the Holy Spirit? We're on that in just a few minutes. How about at work? Anybody tried to engage in moral authority at work? I I I talk with some of you who are employers, our bosses, our supervisors, and I know your biggest frustration is trying to deal with people's immorality. My friend Jared and I we have talked many many times over many years about the stuff that used to get stolen off their job sites by their own staff. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I appreciate Jared because he, I know he gets this. Rather than running around charging people and firing people, Jared understood that he could change the culture of a company so that, so that people began to love and appreciate the company. And you know what? The stealing went down. It always does because Moral authority comes to people by a revelation. And and you want to know the this? I love this. This is the simplest revelation. It's the revelation of what is good and right. And when we bring a tactic of warfare to the table that tries to force people to bow to moral authority that they are not capable of recognizing at this point in their journey... The odds of winning them are so low. It is so unlikely. And even if we do, it's usually not lasting. I've wanted to engage with many of my children's teachers in the last couple of years. They let me speak at the graduation for Jake and Logan's high school. And I have to tell you, I, I literally had to humble myself and say, Lord, I need you to put a guard at my mouth. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am not a nice person. <laughs> Paul Gurney knows this about me. and he, he, he said it to me, and I realized something about myself, I don't know, it's years ago now. If you got Travis unleashed, it would be so political... <laughs> It would be so black and white it would so be let's chop all the heads off all the bad people let's lock them up there's no need for grace let's just deal with it once and for all honestly that's me but guys there's something that happens when jesus enters the scene of our life Mercy begins to triumph over judgment. And I want you to know this morning that it's not me, it's not in me to be mercifully gifted, yet here I am. I'm merciful to a fault. I have coaches, I pay people to help me become better at what I do. I have close friends who speak into my life. Being merciful isn't always the best way. And I'm going, I know. I just can't help it. Moral authority has to be acknowledged for it to work. Now, eventually, listen to me, eventually, moral authority will be acknowledged. It will. It's the nature, it's the nature of history, the history of humanity. As I said when we started, people eventually realize that stealing is bad because someone stole everything from them. Eventually we'll get there. Eventually the pendulum swings politically. Eventually, in society, people realize the thing we thought would make it better is only making it worse. Eventually, people will realize. And even if they don't, the Bible assures us that one day, Jesus, who is the supreme authority of moral authority, that every knee will bow and confess that he is the ultimate authority. So don't don't misunderstand me today, church. Moral authority, the authority of Jesus, the authority of Scripture will be fully realized. But the context that you and I find ourselves in is not of that day, but of this day. We have work to do. We have wars to win. We have battles to fight. And telling people that they're going to burn or telling people that they will stand before Jesus is not something that they are able to understand where they sit today until revelation comes. See, the reality is is that you might run from the police and in a moment, not recognize their authority. But what will inevitably and eventually happen? Well, you'll recognize their authority. They won't let you renew your license. You might have to go to court. If you're really crazy, you might end up going to jail. But eventually, it will be acknowledged. And real authority always will. Like the authority that is established by God. That authority will always be Realized by the end. See, I don't, (laughs) take this the right way. I don't, you cannot, discipline your children because you're right. You can't argue with people because you're right. You can discipline. You can make arguments because you love them. And if you don't understand the difference between those two things, I want to ask you to really seek the heart of God so that you can begin to understand the difference between those two things. That word love has become very cheap today. And the enemy has twisted that word love into permission to do a lot of wrong or immoral things. I hate the phrase love is love. I hate it. Now, I love people. I'm for people. I'm for love. But I'm for the love that the Bible talks about. Not for the permission to do things that hurt people. See, I discipline my children not because I'm right. Even though I might know I'm right, I discipline my children because I agape them. I discipline them because the Bible tells me Then in disciplining my children, I'm sparing them from a fate worse than death. We always tell you to parent with the end in mind. But how far do you go to the end parenting? till they're 18 and they leave your house? Don't be silly. You're still a parent when you have great-grandchildren. Man, if God wills it, great-great-grandchildren. You don't get to stop being a parent because you got divorced. You don't need to stop getting to be a parent because of an abortion. You don't get to stop being a parent for any reason ever. Some of you even who might not have children. God's call on your life is still to be a parent, spiritually in the house. So parenting is something we're all going to do. Leading young adults is something we all have to do. I think that many parents, many leaders, many bosses, they, they lead and they discipline and they teach out of a fear of the wrong things. A lot of people fear failure for themselves. They, fe- they fear failure for their children. I just I want you to hear this by the Spirit of God this morning, church. You know what else fears failure? Religion. Religious thinking fears failure. And it's supposed to. Remember, because the law is a teacher that brings us to the realization that the law is not capable of doing what only Jesus can do. Understand this fundamentally, please. So what happens as a parent if you fear your child's failure more than you fear their future? And I know there's the step in there that says, well, I fear their failure because what if they don't recover? I want to tell you something. They're going to recover. If you're in community, your kids are going to recover. They're going to be okay. And it's funny to me because so many times people's fear of failure is actually what undermines and undercuts the foundation of what God is building in their life. And it's a tragic loss once again. But remember that religion fears failure because... Religion is about meeting a standard, but the standard is about proving that it can't be met. Fearing failure is a waste of time because failure is inevitable. You should be far more afraid from the inability to recover from failure. I want you to remember that the Lord upholds the righteous. Never, ever forget that. Psalm 37, 16, 17, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Righteousness is far more valuable. Far more valuable. Than religion it's far more valuable than your fear of failure because righteousness comes to us by something we call faith see faith produces righteousness in us placing our faith in the right places produces righteousness in us. I know I got to get going here. Jesus, let's use Jesus as the moral authority. If you take Jesus and try to use him as the moral authority on people, it won't work. Once again, if the person doesn't accept the authority, they are rather resistant to the authority. True authority will always be revealed. Always. All authority is established by God. How about when Jesus spoke to Pilate on the issue of authority? Just consider this for a moment. What does Pilate say to Jesus when Jesus isn't cooperating the way Pilate thinks he ought to cooperate at his mock trial? Pilate said, hey, don't you know that I have the power to condemn you, to crucify you? And what's Jesus' response? You have no authority except that which my Father has given you. And they crucified Jesus. Now, when was his authority revealed? Well, about three days later. See, authority will always be revealed. And honestly, I think it's in the realization that the authority will be revealed that we need to fight harder We need to work harder. We need to love deeper. We need to love stronger. We need to to love more fiercely. Knowing the day will come when the authority of God, his word, the reality of everything he is, will be realized fully by all creation. In three days, the authority of Jesus proved far greater than the authority that Pilate had in fact been given by God. Just let that percolate for you, considering the last two years, all of it. See it for what it is. For the fight we're in for our families, we should acknowledge that there are horrible things being taught in our schools. Crazy, horrible, weird things in our workplaces, our homes. I would even describe some of these doctrines that are being taught as anti-moral. They're the polar opposite of anything that is, whether it's by scripture or by realization that things are bad, people will generally agree, it's bad. They don't see it that way when they're teaching them. But then again, they don't imagine the end as I do. You see, it's the way I understand the end that motivates me I don't want people to burn I don't want people to be separated eternally from God I don't want people to be without his presence to be separated from it just think about this with me for a moment the, the terrible reality of separation from God the Bible tells us that his presence is everywhere even even in hell. And yet it says after this life there will be those who are separated from the presence of God. Do you know what that means? That means that if I was there, I could be aware of the presence. I could see the presence. I might even be able to smell the presence, but I can't get into the presence. That would be like for a mother who has just given birth to a baby to have to stand at the glass and look through at this child that came from her and be separated from it, can see it, can hear it, can smell everything that triggers the senses except for the realization of presence, which would be touch. And I'm afraid that's what hell looks like for people. Because I can't imagine anything worse. I don't want to preach because I think I'm right. I preach because I care about your future. You don't want people to hurt. We don't want people to live in pain in this life or in what follows. So I want to invite you this morning to follow the lead of the authority on moral authority. And that's Jesus, of course. John 8, 3. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that he might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger began to write on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He is without sin among you. Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He again stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. See, Jesus, guys, expresses his authority not in the condemning of sin, but in the forgiving of sin you got to understand. Jesus expresses authority not in the condemnation of sin, but in the forgiving of sin. And here we have church people around the world trying to wage a war of morality when the divine weapons of our warfare for the pulling down of strongholds are more in the realm of love and forgiveness and grace and humility, and yes, absolutely discipline and correction. But not the way people are trying. Religious people get concerned about things like this because, oh, it becomes a grace doctrine. And the doctrine of grace is the best thing that ever happened to the people of God. And make no mistake, those who abuse that grace are wrong. Those who sin that grace may abound, what a ridiculous notion. What a terrible way to live. What a harmful way to exist. You can't let what some whack job does take you off the call, off of the course that Jesus is setting for your life. I would argue that if Jesus forgives, you're forgiven. I would contend that that trumps whatever anyone else says. If Jesus can forgive a half naked woman, literally dragged out of the bed of adultery before a public court, and with just a few words, he can do a miracle in her life, tell me how he can't do that miracle in your life. Tell me how. You gotta understand. You gotta understand the depth of wrong, the loss, the shame. Put yourself in her shoes making mistakes, literally dragged out of a bed, fornicating, and brought into the center of a public court. I can't really imagine a lower place where shame would be. And I want you to focus on the most important thing in this story right now, in this moment. Jesus says the words, I'm not going to condemn you, but then there's this, this, this amazing transformation that takes place. And Jesus says, now go and don't sin anymore. See, that's what the religious people who worry about grace doctrine fail to calculate in their equation. That the power of real transformation and forgiveness from Jesus absolutely equals a person's life changed who does not struggle with sin the same way they did before they encountered Jesus. It doesn't matter who you bring into the church. If the church is preaching the life, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness, the salvation, the resurrection of Christ, it doesn't matter who comes into the church, transformation comes. Because of what Jesus has done. Here's one more for you. I'm going to just jump through this real quick. But in John 4, how about the Samaritan woman at the well? Here's the moral authority of Jesus at work once again Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus says, Draw me some water. She says, Why are you asking me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And she goes on her rant about this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus says, So, just a second, wait a second. You're living in sin. This is where all of the the anti-religion people start to get offended. Well, I don't like that Jesus. I don't like a Jesus that calls people out in their sin. But let me tell you something. Jesus calls people out in their sin. And he loves them in their sin. He says, you had so many husbands, your family can't keep track anymore. And in fact, the man you're living with now, you're still not married to him either. You are immoral. And you know better. But then what does Jesus do? Jesus says, if you drink this water from this well, you're going to be thirsty. But I have water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. The end of that story, you can read it for yourself in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26. The end of that story is a woman leaving the presence of Jesus, transformed, running into this city to express to people the profound interaction she just had with the living God. You see, that's how Jesus uses moral authority. Church, by all means... Be a moral authority, but don't be a moral authority treating it like it's a spirit to skewer people with. Be a moral authority led by the Holy Spirit so that you can surgically insert the presence of a living God into the life of someone who needs Him. That's the call. That's the challenge. This is the war. This is the battle. You want to know who Jesus beats up with His moral authority? Religious thinkers people who create laws that they don't follow, people who claim to be from God that are not, the ones whose motivation is being right instead of bringing salvation. Fight the battle by all means, but we have to fight this battle in the agape love of God. Jude 17, 25. But you, beloved, ought to remember these words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some, now listen to this, because this is for us today, have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh." Now, if you have ears to hear this morning, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. You're going you're to have mercy on the doubter. You're going to save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, you're going to have mercy with fear, hating, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And then it goes on to say, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. But you, beloved, building yourself up in most holy faith, If you're gonna fight for your family you better find yourself on your knees you better find yourself in a chair praying I don't care maybe you're a walk around and pray person get up in the morning and go for a walk and pray you can't fight this fight without being built up in faith and by the way praying in the spirit does mean praying in tongues it means letting the Holy Spirit pray through you it means letting the Spirit of God pray the things that you yourself don't know how to pray for And then, keep yourself in the love of God. Not in the frustration of men. Not in the anger of your situation. Not in the disappointment of your moments. But keep yourself now in the love of God. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord to eternal life. See guys, once we're in that place, once we're in that well, once we're flowing out of that part of the heart of God, Then the ministry begins to happen. And it is a warfare. It's a ministry of war. It's a ministry of fighting for what's important, fighting for morality, fighting for truth, fighting for all of the things that matter absolutely. But it is unfounded and we are not grounded in the right thing if we're not coming satiated to be fully immersed in the spirit and in the love of God. That's where it's at. Now, some of us maybe are going to need to repent because we've probably all used moral authority like a stick to try to beat someone into submission. Can I just tell you it's like anything else? Turn from it. There's a better way. There's a far better way. Follow the lead of Jesus. Follow his lead. Never forget that when Jesus forgives, someone is forgiven. And then there's that, then there's this active relationship and discipleship that says, now go, don't sin anymore. I honestly I don't know where we should go from here right now. But we're going to sing one last song. And I just want to invite you to pray with me as we close this part of the service. Like always, we're going to sing this last song to give you a moment to reflect. And our prayer team is going to come to the front. They're going to stand on this side. They're going to stand on that side. And we really do have people that want to pray with you. Maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on this morning from this message. Maybe you've been carrying something all week or four weeks. I want you to know that you can leave it at the altar today. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to take it with you when you go from this place because there is transformation that happens in the presence of Jesus. You can leave this place different than you came today. You might be sitting in church this morning and you still don't have a relationship with Jesus. That restores your relationship to your Heavenly Father. We'll always take time for this moment in our service. Because it's the most important moment of your life. The moment that you say, okay, that's it. I'm going to bend my will to Jesus today. I'm going to let Him be the boss. I'm going I'm to let Him decide what is right and wrong in my life. And I'm going to go His way, not my own way. That's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to to be his follower. I want you to know that if you're sitting here this morning and that gap is still there, you don't have to leave this place with that gap unbridged. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you and answer your questions and help you see what that looks like. If you're sick, if you're in trouble, come on respond in this time. Let someone pray with you. Let someone give you a hug. Let someone bear a burden with you this morning. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. We're going to sing this one last song. Such a great presence of God this morning. God doesn't care. He shows up in people with his presence. He shows up in gymnasiums with his presence. He'll show up on sidewalks. He'll show up anywhere. It's an amazing thing. So Holy Spirit, we're asking right now, what do we do with what we've heard today? And Lord, I know for each one of us, our list of wrongs can get very long. And the things we've fallen short of, man, the list can get long. But Holy Spirit, I'm asking today for our church that you would put your finger on the things in our life which are misaligned with your will for our life. Lord, where we have used authority in the wrong way, Lord, I pray that you would correct us in your love this morning. That you would change our thinking. That, Father, we would pursue an understanding of your heart as revealed in the Word of God. For each person in this room, Lord, for each person watching online, I pray, God, today that you would give courage to respond that you would give people in this room victory today with flesh. God, that you would come in your power and heal diseases, and that you would transform people from bondage and iniquity to a place of freedom. Lord, we pray this all in your name, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.